Last week we started a new series uh, entitled, How Much More, because the Bible uses this phrase, how much more, throughout the Old and New Testament, actually, to reveal some very specific things about His character. God does that. And so this morning we're going to look at another passage from the New Testament that deals specifically with that. Last week I asked you um, to think about what's probably one of the most important questions that someone ever asked themselves, and that is, what is God really like? Who is God, fundamentally? Think about the God you pray to, you can't see him. You have to think about what he's like. How has he revealed himself? It's a very, very important question to answer. And he hasn't left us without information. Sometimes, though, we totally base what we believe and what we know about God on our own experience. And that's a mistake. Our experience is important, but it's not more important than God's written revelation. He's written it down for us, so there's no question in our minds what it is, who he is, and what he wants us to know about him. So last week we talked about this idea of how much more, and we talked about that God's revealed his heart to be generous, to be genuine, and to be greater in his affection for us than anyone else in our lives. And I want to pick that up this morning and continue with that idea of talking about God's love. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 22 here in just a minute. So go ahead and find that as we think about reading and talking about God's love this morning. So if you got that, you can stand with me out of reverence for God and his word. And if you don't have a copy of God's word with you, you can look on the screen this morning and um, it'll be up there for you as well. And you can follow along silently as I read aloud. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. This is what Jesus said. This is what he said to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add a cubit to his height by worrying? If then you're not able to even do a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't keep striving for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentiles work eagerly, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. Jesus is revealing to us something about the heart of God. I've talked about I said a minute ago about his affection for us, about his love, about God's love. And yet when you, if you were listening, you're paying attention, you'll notice that the word love, Jesus didn't use the word love anywhere in that text. So how do I know he's talking about the love of God? Because the idea is there. Three different times Jesus talks about value. In fact, if you go back up, we didn't read verses 6 and 7 of chapter 12, but in verses 6 and 7, Jesus talks about that aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? In other words, a sparrow is worth less than a penny. Basically worthless. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them, the Bible says, is forgotten by God. And that's in the original language in the perfect tense, which is only true of God. And that means that it was something that happened in the past. God knew every sparrow in the past. And because he knew them in the past, his knowledge of them continues forever. So that means that God knows every sparrow that's ever lived. (laughs) And that's not even hard for God, okay? So he's saying, if God knows the sparrows that are basically worthless, he's saying, how much more valuable are you than many sparrows? He's talking about our value. 
And then in verse 24, we saw that he says, he's talking about the ravens and he talks about what they do and how God takes care of them. And he asked the question, aren't you worth much more than the birds? Don't you have much more value than the birds? And then he closes out by talking about the wildflowers where he actually uses the phrase, how much more, how much more will your father take care of you than he does the birds, the sparrows, the ravens, or the wildflowers? So what Jesus is talking about here is value. He's talking about you. He's talking about your value and my value to God. And so when we think about this passage, what does that have to do with love? Well, when you understand what love is in the New Testament, you understand that love equals value. Every time Jesus used the word love to describe God's love for you or his love for you, it's the word agape. And honestly, until Jesus came along and died for us and gave his life for us, that, that word didn't even exist in the original Greek language. They had to create a word to describe the kind of love that the Lord has for us. And it means this, literally, to place supreme value on someone. That's what the word means. That's the definition of agape love. So it means that God places supreme value on you, that he cares and knows you and loves you supremely. And that's really important because a lot of times we all base our self-esteem, our self-worth, our value on something. And for a lot of us, it's one of these five things. It's either affluence, where we look around and go, well, I'm doing better than other people. I live in a nice house. Maybe I own it outright. I've got a nice vehicle or two or three or five or whatever. I've got nice clothes. I mean, I've got a lot of stuff. So I'm pretty important. And pretty valuable based on all the stuff that I have. Some people actually base their value of themselves on what they have, what they own or what they owe for, okay? So they have a lot of stuff, a lot of people do. Well, if it's not affluence for some people, they base their view of themselves, their worth, their value on their achievements. What have they accomplished? What have you accomplished in your life? You look back and go, well, I've, I've done this and I did this and this was pretty good that I did. And for some people, they weigh the things that they've accomplished versus the things they haven't accomplished, and they feel pretty good about themselves. And they think, well, I'm, I'm not doing that bad. I've accomplished quite a few things in my life, so I have a lot of achievements. Or what about abilities? I'm able to do some things that other people can't do. We're all unique and different, and there are the people sitting next to you can probably do things you can't do, and you can do things they can't do, but is that why you're valuable? Is that why you have worth? Is because you're able to do some things, you have abilities? What about acceptance? Some of us think we're valuable because a lot of people like us. We have a lot of friends. Everywhere we go, we make friends, right? People like me. They tell me I'm wonderful. They tell me great things about myself. And that brings up the last one. That's approval. The people that I, that I deal with and know generally respond favorably to me. You know, they like me. They get, we get along. It's okay. So I, I have their approval. And, and sometimes we don't make decisions because we might get someone's disapproval. And so we kind of, if, we, if that's what we base our worth on, we can live our lives in fear of what other people think of us. So those five things are what a lot of people use to decide whether or not they have value as a person. And I have some really good news for you this morning. That's not why God loves you. None of those things. He doesn't love you because you have a lot of great stuff. He doesn't love you because you're able to do great things or you've already done great things in your life or because people like you or approve of you. That's not why God loves you. You know why God loves you? Because he's God. That's who he is. He is a God who chooses to place supreme value on every single human life. And that's consistent 
all the way through scripture. But if you want to just take Jesus and look at his life, I mean, Jesus came to reveal to us perfectly and finally and completely what God's like. So just take a few of Jesus's most famous interactions with people. Think about this for a second. Think about Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? He was the Pharisee in John 3 who came to Jesus by night because he was worried that the other Pharisees might see him asking Jesus questions. And they were like, no, Jesus, we're against Jesus. Jesus is not from God. And Nicodemus is not sure. I think he's genuinely interested to find out maybe if Jesus is really the Messiah. He sees Jesus working miracles and he's thinking, I don't know how he did that. So he comes to him by night, kind of under the cover of night, secretly, to talk to him, to interview him, to kind of find out who Jesus is. And Jesus doesn't scorn him. He doesn't turn him away. He doesn't reject him. In fact, Nicodemus is the one that Jesus says, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible to, for God so loved the world. There's that word love, and that word is agape. God so values the people of the world so much that he sent his one and only son. Jesus is talking about himself. That whoever would believe in him, put their trust in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus is the guy that Jesus says that to. So Jesus values Nicodemus and tells him this amazing truth about God, that God loves him. What about the woman at the well? She's a Samaritan woman. You remember that story in John 4? And Jesus is there alone with her. The disciples have gone into town to get some food. And Jesus is out there. And men didn't in those days talk to women in public. It was not done. And she's a Samaritan. So Jewish people looked down on Samaritans because they considered them compromisers. You know, they weren't true Jews. They were half Jews, half Samaritans. And they were looked down upon by the Jewish people because somewhere along the line, they had violated God's law. And so the Jewish people kind of looked down their nose at them. And here's Jesus violating a social norm. He's doing something that people in his own religion wouldn't even do. He's talking to a woman. And he's talking to her about important things. And she's an immoral woman. Not because she's been married five times, but because the guy that she's currently with, she's living with. She's not married to him, and Jesus knows that about her because Jesus knows everything about every person. He knows everything about you. And Jesus looks at her and says, whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst again. Jesus is offering her hope. He's offering her life because he values her. He's, he's revealing to her what God is like. And then think about Zacchaeus. We sing that little song about Zacchaeus. Was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know, we do the motions. You ever done that? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all look kind of like, okay, you're with me. Zacchaeus, that little guy. Well, he's a Jewish guy, but he's a tax collector. He's collecting taxes for the Roman government. So the Romans don't really like him because he's a Jew, and the Jews don't like him because he's working for the Romans. He's kind of a man without a country. He's isolated. So he climbs up in the tree because he's checking Jesus out, and Jesus walks right up to him and says, you know what, Nicodemus, come out of that tree. I want to go hang out with you at your house today. He values him. Did he deserve to be valued? No. He's a fraudulent, in some cases you'd say he was a criminal. And Jesus values him. Jesus loves him. And then this guy that doesn't have a name that we know of, but we call him the rich young ruler. Remember that guy? He walks up to Jesus and he seeks to justify himself. He's completely full of himself. And he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, you know what the the law says. He said, oh, I've kept the law. I haven't broken any of the law. I'm good then, I guess. Right, Jesus? And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. But right before Jesus tells him one thing you lack, the Bible says, look it up for yourself, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know what word it is? It's agape. You know what he said? Jesus looked at him and valued him supremely, and he told him the truth, which was, you have a problem. You love your stuff more than you love God. So go sell all your stuff, get rid of it, repent of your idolatry, 
and come follow me and you'll have eternal life. And what did he do? He walked away sad. And Jesus let him walk away sad. Jesus told him the truth and he walked away sad. But Jesus, I think it's interesting because it says that Jesus valued him. That's why he told him the truth. Not because he was mad at him, because he couldn't wait to pull the zinger on him at the end. No, he loved him. So these are just four examples of over and over again, as you read the New Testament, read it through the eyes of a a God who, who sent his son to say, people matter. People have value. In all these interactions, God showed it over and over again, regardless of a person's social standing or their category. So you think about those kinds of people that I just talked about. You talk about a religious person, an immoral person, a fraudulent person, someone who is full of pride. And I bet you can find yourself in there somewhere. And if you're one of those kind of people, and all of us are sinful people, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. It actually means God values you. God loves you, not because you're a sinful person, but because he made you, he created you, and he values you supremely. He cares whether or not you have a relationship with him. So so as we think about the love of God this morning, just a simple question. Have you been changed in your life by the love of God? Because the love of God, when you understand it and you believe it, it changes everything about your life. Three things this morning I want you to see about what it changes. First, it changes the way I see God. Since God's revealed himself as someone who places supreme value on me, it means that God is not impersonal, he's actually personal. God is a personal God. He actually knows me. He knows every detail. He's not, as some philosophers say, this clockmaker who wound up the world and then stepped back from it and said, eh, I'm done with that. Disgusted with it. No. He's not impersonal. He's very involved. If you read your Bible, what you'll see is that on almost every page of your Bible, God is interacting and interested in people and what's going on with people over and over and over again. Every character, every story, every situation is revealing that God's not impersonal. God's very personal, very involved in people's lives. In fact, as Luke said earlier through Jesus, he knows the details. He knows the hairs on your head. Why would God know what's going on with my hair? (laughs) Why would he care? It's just used to show you that if he knows what's going on with something so insignificant as your hair, then he obviously knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in every detail of your life. He's not impersonal. He didn't wind you up and then step back and go, he wants to be involved in your life. Jeremiah said it this way. He said, before I was even born, the Lord knew me when I was in my mother's womb. Unborn child, the Lord knew me. David echoed the same thought in Psalm 139 when he said, the Lord knit me together in my mother's womb. See, God's known you even before you were on the planet officially. He knows every detail of your life. He's not impersonal. He's completely personal, and he wants to know you in that way. So so as I understand the love of God, it changes the way I view him. I don't see him as some distant God way off somewhere. I see him as very involved in my life, very involved in your life. Secondly, he's passionate instead of apathetic. God's a passionate God. 1 John 4, 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. The essence of who God is, is love. It's who he is. It's part of his character. So he's not too busy to notice what's going on with me. He actually knows. And and what he wants most from me and what he wants most from you is to be loved back. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 22? He said, this is the greatest commandment, the most important commandment. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. That you love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40 of chapter 22, he says a really important thing. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
And in essence, what he was saying is all the teaching of the Old Testament, everything that the Old Testament was trying to communicate can be summed up in these two commands. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. That's it. Why? Why does God care if you love him or not? Because he loves you. It communicates that he's passionate about you. Someone that you truly love in your life, what do you want most from them? You want them to love you back. If you don't care if they love you, it's probably a person that you don't really love that much either. But when you really love someone, you want that love reciprocated. You want it to come back to you. And God is a lover of your soul. He's passionate about you, not unpassionate, not apathetic as some people believe and say about God. So when you think about spending time with him every day, when you think about a quiet time or a daily devotional, it's not a duty anymore. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to sit and communicate with the lover of your soul, the God who made everything and knows you and knows every detail of your life. That's what makes spending time alone with God meaningful and special and important. But third, the thing that changes about your view of God is you understand that God's love is perfect and not conditional. God's love is perfect for you. Have you ever thought about that? Think about the people that love you most, your parents, your spouse, your kids. You probably, if you tried really, really hard, you probably could get them to stop loving you. Right? We see it all the time. Parents and kids have strained relationships. Spouses say they stop loving each other. I mean, honestly, if you try really hard, you can probably mess up those loves. You know what? Those loves are based on incomplete knowledge of you. Like Billy Graham used to say, if you knew what was in my heart, you'd spit in my eye. If your spouse knew what was in your heart, they might do the same thing to you, right? Right, kids? If your parents knew exactly what you were thinking, it might not be good at your house, right? So the reality is our love for each other, even the best examples of our love for each other, is based on incomplete knowledge. But here's the amazing thing. With God, his knowledge of you is complete, and he still loves you. He knows all the failures of your life, now, your past, and your future. And it doesn't stop him from loving you. It doesn't stop him from saying, you are supremely valuable to me. It's based on complete knowledge. It's perfect love. I love that about God. 1 John 4 says, perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. Well, God's already, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has secured your future. You can't even mess it up. Praise God, right? Because the Lord loves you that much. He wants to have a relationship with you that lasts forever. His love for you is perfect and not conditional. And there aren't very many people in your life that you can say that about. So God is personal. He's passionate. His love is perfect. So when you understand God's love for you, it changes the way you see God. You see him as someone who's coming after you, who's pursuing you. You want to reciprocate that. You want to love him back. That's what's natural. What's not natural is to go, I don't care anything about that. No, when someone loves you, it draws you in. And that's what the love of God is designed to do in your life as well. So not only does it change the way that I see God. Secondly, when I understand the love of God, it changes the way I see myself. How, how often or how do you think of yourself most often? Seth, ask it that way. Are you someone who bases your view of yourself, your value? We talk about self-esteem or self-worth. Do you base your self-worth on one of those five things that I talked about before, how much you have or what you've been able to accomplish or what you're able to do that other people aren't able to do? Is that, is that what makes you special? Is that what makes you valuable in the world? Um, when you know God's love for you, it, it changes the way you look at yourself. And one of the things that changes is it makes you secure. 
Are you secure or insecure this morning? I mean, insecurity is a part of every one of our lives, even men. I know men, we don't want to talk about that, but the reality is all of us have insecurities in our life. Uh, basically, we have insecurities because we deal with other people, and people make us insecure because people fail. So if I put my hope on a person, if I, this person is going to love me and they're going to always be there for me, and then what happens? They fail. And when that happens, there goes my hope, there goes my trust, there goes my security, and I become a very insecure person. I mean, that's what happens in our life, this idea of the fear of man that, that what if somebody doesn't like me? What if I say something people don't agree with me? Man, we live in a culture where you don't have to go very far to find somebody to disagree with you, right? And some of us walk around in fear of that. Like, I'm afraid if I say what's true, which would honor God, it might make everybody else mad. But once you know that God loves you, you can be free of that insecurity. Yeah, people aren't going to like you if you follow Christ. They're not going to like you if you live for God. But so what? You've got the greatest being in the universe showing you the greatest love that will never change. And that makes you secure. Not insecure, not wobbly, <laughs> but solid. So the thing I love about security is it's based on God's, what's called God's immutability, which means it's God's inability to change. God can't change. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what he said. Jesus said that about himself. So, so the reality is God doesn't change. If he loves you like this today, then you can be sure he's going to love you like this tomorrow and the day after that and 50 years from now and a million years from now. His love for you is not changing. And that makes me, it should make you secure. I love that. Not just secure, though. The, God's love changes the way I see myself in terms of my significance. I'm significant instead of insignificant. Not because of what I'm able to do, not because of what I've accomplished. Um, I have a friend who shared this story with me a couple of years ago about being over in Tyler and being at a garage sale. And he was going through some stuff with his, his wife wanted to go to this garage sale and they were going through this stuff. And he said he found this document on this table, it's a dusty frame. He picked it up and kind of cleaned it off. And it was a doctor's uh, degree from medical school for sale in this garage sale, still in the frame, 25 cents. I mean, he just goes, I've never even heard of this doctor. I mean, the date on it was way back last century, you know, so he's thinking this guy probably passed away and his kids didn't want it or he didn't have any kids or whatever. Now it's in a garage sale for a quarter. It used to hang on a wall in his office when people went in there and they saw the big letters and the gold stamps on it. And it meant something, right? It meant that he mattered. He was significant because of what he had accomplished in his life. And now, years later, it's on a table at a garage sale for a quarter. It's not lasting. That's not why you're significant, because you're able to do things or because you've accomplished great things in your life. And those things aren't bad things. Well, I love doctors. Don't get me wrong. It would matter what the degree was for. It fades away. But when your significance is based on God's love for you, it doesn't fade away. Your significance lasts. And I love that about, about who the Lord is. The Bible says this. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I think one of the greatest indicators of your significance to God is the fact that he sent his son for you. He actually sent him for you. We think the gospel was born in the heart of Jesus. The gospel is born in the heart of God. I know they're one and the same, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying God is the one who said, I want you to have a relationship with me and I'll do almost anything to get that to happen. In fact, I'll send my own son. I'll give my own flesh and blood son for you so that you can have your sin forgiven and have a relationship with me. I want you to have a relationship with me that bad. That's what makes you significant. It makes you significant before the Lord 
It's not based on me. It's not based on what I can do. It's based on my father's love. And then third, what changes in my view of myself is that I'm set free. I'm not in bondage anymore. Jesus addresses here in Luke 12 this idea that I don't have to be subject to anxiety and worry about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear, how I'm going to live. He says, I've got all that under control. You don't have to worry about that. I got it under control. You belong to me and I'm going to take care of you. So that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see from this passage is that we're, we're important to God. If he takes care of birds and flowers, which are relatively insignificant, there's that phrase, how much more will he take care of us because we are very significant to him. You are very significant to God. Do you know that about yourself? Do you think of yourself in that way? As someone who has great significance to the Lord? Jesus said this, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then he went on to say, look, everyone who sins is, is a, is a uh, slave to sin, but if the son sets you free, you really will be free. That's what he says. You'll be free indeed. And Jesus wants you to be free. And as you understand the love of God in your life, it frees you. It frees you from the power of sin in your life. It frees you from the penalty of sin in your life. It frees you up. We celebrated our freedom as a country this week. And aren't you glad that you live in this great country? I mean, it's a tangible thing to know that we're free. But your freedom in Christ lasts forever. Your, your freedom here is temporary. You're going to leave here someday. And you're going to go into eternity. But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your freedom is going to last forever. He sets you free and you're never, ever going to escape his great love for you. So it makes you secure, significant, and set free. And there's probably other things we could talk about there too because his love for you is so amazing. The third this morning, not only does the love of God change the way I see God, not only does it change the way I see myself, this is really powerful. It changes the way I see everyone else. It changes the way I see you. Because once I understand how valuable I am to God, I automatically understand how valuable you are to God. Automatically. Regardless of how I feel about it, doesn't matter. If I have that kind of value to God, you have the same value to God. God cares about you the exact same way. And this is what Jesus said in John 15. This is my command, love, there's that word, agape, value one another as I have valued you. No one has a greater love than this then someone would lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. And when we understand the value that other people have, it puts us in a position to sacrifice for them as well. That's what makes us like Christ. We model our lives after Christ and what he did for us. So it changes the way I see everyone else. I don't see rich or poor. I don't see American or foreign. I don't see Democrat or Republican. I don't see nice or mean. I don't see white or black or Hispanic or Vietnamese or any of that other stuff. I don't see the categories that most people put on other people. I don't see Jewish or Catholic or Hindu or Muslim. I see people, people that God values greatly. That's how he wants us to view people, as people of value, external to themselves, not because of anything that they've done or said or whatever. They're valuable regardless. This is what Jesus said in Luke 6. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. You see, it even includes our enemies, people that we don't necessarily like, that we don't get along with, or that we just outright disagree with about everything in life, our enemies. We don't talk about these verses very much, but he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And down in verse 35, he says, love. In other words, value your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. 
Be merciful then, as your Father is also merciful. Now, I got to be honest with you, that's hard for us. If we don't like somebody, if we disagree with somebody, we feel justified in not loving them. We feel justified in not showing them love. That's not biblical. That's not Christian. It's human, right? We do that to people. We withhold love from people because we don't like them or we don't agree with them. We have a different viewpoint than they do on something. And I got news for you. That's not Christian. (laughs) Jesus said by this, will all men know that you're my followers? What? If you have love for each other. He's talking about disciples. He's talking about Christians. So we ought to be an example. People ought to be able to look inside the church and go, those people really value each other. They take care of each other. They ought to be able to see that about us. But we fail because we don't understand God's love for us. So we can't model that for other people or to other people because we don't really get his love for us in the first place. I'll tell you a story. Last year, you guys know that uh, Franklin Graham came to Longview. You remember that? The event that he did out in the field out there behind Mod Cobb? Before he came, about, I guess, three or four months before he came, he sent a guy representative from his ministry to Longview, and they called pastors and associate pastors to come together and kind of meet about the event, understand the event, get churches on board with supporting it. And the young man who came and shared with us, I went to that meeting, uh, was a pastor actually from New Mexico, and he travels with the Billy Graham Association. He helps Franklin out with Samaritan's Purse, uh, his organization that does charity all over the world. And so he was telling us about the event and stuff, and he was just sharing some updates about all the different things that Samaritan's Purse is doing in the world. And I was unaware at the time, and I think a lot of us were, that during that time, maybe 18 months ago or so, that our military was very involved overseas in Afghanistan with really stamping out ISIS. You guys know who ISIS are, those Muslim fighters, radical Muslim fighters over in the Middle East. And um, we were, our military was involved in really crushing their power and taking their power away from them. And so he said, we have, uh, as Samaritan's Purse, we've set up a hospital over there in Afghanistan, one of the big cities, and we have doctors come over and nurses and other medical professionals who take a mission trip and they come over and they work for a couple of weeks in the hospital, donate their time and their knowledge, their skill, and they help people who've been attacked in these different attacks by ISIS. And so he said, let me tell you one story about a couple of doctors who came over to help with that effort. He said, in the hospital... Uh, we had a, a, very, a very bad day. We had just suffered an attack nearby, and there was about an 18-hour day where these two particular doctors, one was a surgeon, the other was just a regular physician, but they'd been working 18 hours around the clock, patching people up, helping them get you know, stabilized and all those kind of things, and they were exhausted, and they came out of their, the suite where they were doing all this work on these people and helping these people get, get stabilized, and the guy who was over that ministry said, listen, there's some other people on the other side of the hospital that still need care. And, and they were like, wait a minute, we got, we got everybody. We took care of everybody. We're done. We finished up and we're just exhausted. And he said, well, he said, this, ha- this hospital that we set up is, is divided in half. He said, the half you were on are the people that were affected by the ISIS attacks. He goes, the other half are actually ISIS fighters who've been captured, who were injured as well. And we need you to come over and take care of them. And he said, the lady, the lady, it was a lady doctor, she just hit her knees, floor of the hospital, and she was like, I can't do it. I can't go over there and help those people. I just spent 18 hours patching up people that they hurt. You want me to go over there now and help them? He goes, they need help. We're a Christian organization. We came here to show the love of God. Do what you want to do. Take as much time as you need. She got up, and she went in there, and this guy was on the table, ISIS fighter captured, had a translator there with him. He's strapped to the table. He can't hurt her. He can't get away. But he's hurt. 
And she begins to work, she begins to work on him. She's just praying, Lord, give me grace to be able to do this. Give me love for this man, you know. And as she's working on, the Lord's just working on her. And um, this guy's just talking 90 miles an hour, the guy that she's working on. She can't understand the translators. She says, what is he saying? And he said, he's basically confused. He doesn't know why you as an American would be helping him right now. He doesn't understand that. Why would you help him? You're an American. He just was attacking people that are from your country that are over here. So why would you do that? And she thought about it for a second and she said, tell him this. Tell him that God loves me this way and this is the way I'm supposed to love him. And that's it. Isn't that it? Love your enemies. Value your enemies. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said that. Value all people. Love all people. Why? Because that's how God loves you. That's how God loves every fighter in ISIS. That's how God loves every Muslim, every Democrat, every Republican, every person you can't stand and disagree with. God values every single human life. And we've been called here to represent him. So I would say start this way this morning. Do you fully understand the love of God for you? Do you get it? Do you understand how valuable you are to him? Because when you do, it changes the way you see him. It changes the way you see yourself. And it certainly changes everybody you're going to encounter for the rest of this day and the rest of your life. And God's love is meant to change us. He wants to change you into the image of his son so that people will get it. We've got people in Malawi today who are doing that. We've got people that are headed to Romania this week that are going to do that. This coming Wednesday night, you have an opportunity to come up to the church and get all hot and sweaty and go knock on people's doors. You don't even know. Why would you do that? Because every person's door we're going to knock on Wednesday night is valuable to God. Every single one of them. Whether you know them, like them, have anything in common with them or not, none of that matters. They all matter to God. And so this morning, we think about the love of God. You cannot talk about the love of God without talking about the gospel, which means good news. You can't talk about God's love because God's love is all about people coming to a close relationship with him. And I know many of you in this room know that. You have a close relationship with him. But I bet that somebody in this room or somebody who's watching online this morning doesn't know the Lord. You don't have a close relationship. In fact, you see God as impersonal. You see him as apathetic. You see him as uncaring, and that's not who he is at all. That's not who he's revealed himself to be. He loves you. He cares about you. You matter to him. You have value to him. He's placed a great value on every single one of your lives. And so this morning, he wants you to be close, but there's a problem. You have a barrier between you and him, and that's your sin. All of us have the same problem. I've never met anybody anywhere who denied being a sinful person. We all sin. That's common, but that will get you eternity separated from God. You don't want that. Trust me, you do not want that. You can pay for your sin forever, or you can have Jesus pay for your sin. He offers to do that this morning for you. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads all across this room. And if you're a believer, I'm going to ask you to pray for the people that are already, that, that don't know the Lord here, that are here maybe, or that are watching online. And ask the Lord to work in their heart this morning. Look, I'm not going to call you to come forward this morning. You can if you want to, that's fine. You don't have to come to the front of this building to get saved. You can get saved right where you're sitting, where, where you're watching online this morning. You can get saved right where you are. It's a simple matter of believing and then putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that he's who he said he is, that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for you to pay your penalty for sin, to make you right with him. And then you simply call upon him. The Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can do that this morning. In fact, I'll lead you. In a prayer, that's what it is. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're praying. 
I'll lead you in a simple prayer this morning. So with nobody looking around with me, if that's you, would you say, I want Christ in my life this morning? I want to trust Christ. Just raise your hand where you are. Let me see your hand. Thank you. Somebody else. Thank you. Somebody else. Anybody else? You guys have your hands up. And even if you didn't raise your hand, you want to ask Christ into your heart. You can pray this prayer. You can call upon the name of the Lord with these words, and he knows if you're sincere or not. So just say this to him. Dear God in heaven, I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want it. I don't want any of it. I choose you. I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to be forgiven of all my sin. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saying that I'm supremely valuable to you. That changes everything in my life. God, I want to love you back. I want to have that relationship with you. So thank you for that this morning. Help me live in a way that honors you now. Help me tell somebody. Give me courage today to tell somebody about you. In Jesus' name.